Hey, Friday Night Lights fans. It's Not Only Football, Friday Night Lights and Beyond is an episode-by-episode discussion of the hit TV series Friday Night Lights, hosted by yours truly, Scott Porter, who played Jason Street on the show, and my two wonderful co-hosts, me, Zach Guilford, a.k.a. Matt Saracen, and me, Mae Whitman, a.k.a. someone who wasn't on the show but really, really loves it a lot. We will also bring on some special guests, answer your questions, and tell you about what's going on in our lives today. It's not only football. Friday Night Lights and Beyond is available now wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose! Magnesium, you're probably not getting enough. Four out of five Americans are not. Problem because magnesium is involved in many of our biological processes. The most common sign to look for that could indicate magnesium deficiency, well, let's say you're anxious, irritable, uh, insomnia. These are signs. uh, And even if you don't have those signs, you might be benefited from some magnesium replacement. Muscle cramps, uh, constipation, all these things, they're – of course, they're caused by other things also, but you might try magnesium. Dozens of symptoms. Not, here's why most people don't know that just taking a magnesium supplement will not solve your problem because you know, we use the cheap magnesium. It doesn't necessarily replace what your body needs. So Magnesium Breakthrough, the only full-spectrum magnesium supplement, seven unique forms of magnesium, that can really help your body use and absorb. Best part is the makers of Magnesium Breakthrough by Optimizers are having a Black Friday special. November 21st to 29th, you can get not only Magnesium Breakthrough, but all of the by Optimizers' best-in-class products with 25% off. Just go to buyoptimizers.com slash Drew and enter code Dr. Drew to get 25% off any order. That's D-R-D-R-E-W. This is the best time to stock up on the products you love and try new ones. All Optimizer supplements are best in class. If for some reason you feel differently, you get a full refund, no questions asked. They are so confident they offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. And hey, if you arrived here late and missed the special offer, don't worry. There is always 10% off for the Dr. Drew podcast listeners with the code Dr. Drew, D-R-D-R-E-W. But if you just arrived in time, again, go to that link, exclusive Black Friday offering starting November 21st. It is buyoptimizers.com slash Drew with code Dr. Drew. Do it while supplies last, and don't miss that November 29th deadline. Welcome, everybody, to Dr. Who Podcast. We've been having a great guest lately. Today is no exception. Again, please keep the winds in the sail of the Corolla Pirate Ship. And don't forget to check out Ask Dr. Drew at 2 o'clock, excuse me, 3 o'clock Pacific time, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and uh, after dark. You all get it all at drdrew.com. You get notifications for the uh, Ask Dr. Drew live stream if you just sign up at drdrew.tv. And one of my guests from that show is my guest today, which I brought him over here to the Corolla Faithful because I knew this audience would be particularly interested in what he has to say. By the way, you guys should be more over at the stream so you can hear this kind of stuff. Freedom from Fear is his latest book. It's Dr. Mark McDonald. He's a psychiatrist. You can follow him on Instagram at the Mark McDonald. McDonald's M-C-D-O-N-A-L-D. Mark with a K. Twitter at M-McDonald-M-D. Substack, MarkMcDonald-M-D, Substack.com. Website is, if you're not already uh, sort of piqued in your interest by the fact that he has to go to Substack and his website is called dissidentmd.com, uh, I don't know what more sort of uh, I can do to pique your interest. But uh, Dr. Mark McDonald, I'm a big fan, as you know, and thank you for being here in person. This is great. I am so excited to actually be here in space, which is what we just talked about as I sat down. Dzień dobry to my Polish listeners. Once again, dzisiaj jest bardzo słonecznie. A lot of followers in Europe. In, in Poland. 
Yes. And is, is Polish your one of your languages, first it is, language? It is not, but I have a close friend from high school whose wife is from Poland. He works in the State Department, and uh, he travels there frequently to visit her and her family. And I went and spent some time there over the summer, and I loved it. I went back multiple times, and now I have this huge following oh, of the country of Poland, and I'm learning Polish. I, I have found that uh, learning language is very good for the aging brain. Like really good. It's fantastic. Yeah, I've been working on French and Greek, and uh, it got it, it got me through COVID fog. I had like a three month post you know COVID thing, and fog was major problem. And uh, working on language kind of cleared it up. Alors vous avez commencé à étudier le français. Aussi le français pour toi. Oui, je parle français très bien. Oui, oui. vraiment. Je l'ai étudié à l'université à UC Berkeley oui. il y a 15 ans. Oui, as they say. Oui. <laughs> in Geneva, oui. they say oui. That's the accent that I learned because I was in Switzerland when I was in high school. And they say, mais oui. <laughs> well, mais oui, this, the French, the Parisians have adopted it now have as they? sort of a, yeah. Like, yeah, no kidding. They're like, oui. Oh, I'm sure that and, and it's also it's also furious. it's also <clears throat> but yes, may we moi moi may we yeah in the English translation. Okay, nah. we're boring everybody. We're, we'll talk about this off the bar. <laughs> All right, we'll move on. So so why did you write this book? Tell us about the book because we're going to sell the book first. All right. So as I was saying when I sat down here, my editor pulled out a phrase from this book which I just wrote with many others, didn't even think much of it. And he said, this is a really important sentence in this book. This really encapsulates why you wrote this book. And I said, what is it? I was really curious. And he read it to me. And he said, our social norms have been redefined. And they have been redefined not by the most courageous among us, but by the most fearful. Yes. I think that sums up my motivation. As you said when I came here, it's so great to see you in person. I said, yes, absolutely. We need to be here. You said people in space sharing the same space. It has become normal, acceptable, comfortable for people to live their lives through Zoom. I am violently, passionately opposed to that. I think it's wrong on so many levels, and I believe that it's being encouraged by anxiety, fear, and essentially this fear addiction, which is the way I describe it in the book. And an addiction is something that arrests your development. It blocks your progress. It prevents you from growing and fulfilling your potential. Okay. I could not agree, agree more wholeheartedly. Uh, it is I, – I spend my day really just like shaking my head. I feel like bamboozled all the time. Like, what? huh? What? Like, what's going on? What? Why? What? I can't get it. And And I think – I was talking to a friend of mine this morning that's a financial guy, and he just says, he goes, it happens all the time. It's tulips. It's, you know, he just, that, that humans get into these crazes, and it is the, I guess, the most risk averse that end up sway with sway over everybody at the end of the day. That's exactly right. It's this altar of safety that we have now begun to worship upon rather than the typical, uh, I wouldn't even say conservative, just basic traditional American quest, which is to expand, to explore, to take risks. We've tossed that all away, and we've now turned towards worshiping another virtue, which is the virtue of safety. Yeah, safety uberalis, I call it. Like safety Exactly uberalis. right. And, and they came in with that at the beginning. Now, I understand. At, I'm, I'm, I'm giving the huge um, sort of swath for the public health officials to walk through at the beginning of this pandemic. They came through with we think this is bad. We got to do something. What are we going to do? Oh, look what they did in China. That worked. Let me talk to my Chinese colleagues, persuaded by these assholes that that's the right thing. Okay, you're wrong, but okay, you do that. And then and then we started to start looking at things, trying to figure out where we are. 
they at that moment committed so completely to safety Uber Alice that anyone who questioned it had to be destroyed. And that was the part that was weird to me. I don't I don't know anybody during tulip mania who said, ah, I, don't, I think we're getting out of control here with the tulips. And they went, put him in jail. Yeah, get, 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 drum him out of society. That seems to be the new thing. Although you could look at the French Revolution and sort of say, well, it's kind of was the same thing there, right? Hysteria. <clears throat> Hysteria. So tell me about that. I think you just hit on a really important facet. I call it sort of the fuel of the car of the pandemic in the last couple of years. And I just published this uh, earlier today in my Substack, Dissident MD, titled The Pandemic in a Nutshell. And I summarize without going into the weeds and the conspiracy theories. There's a lot of them. And honestly, some of them are probably correct. Mm. But that's not the point. Mm. I'm not going to talk about China and uh, Bill Gates and nanobots, all of that. Just put Gates all that this aside. morning, by the way, came out and Did, went, gee, we thought it was a much more serious fatality rate at the beginning. We, we didn't know. You fucking knew. You knew. We so, knew. How did I know? This is what happened in the very beginning with that London economic paper that was published by Neil Ferguson. Oxford Group. Yes. A disaster. Millions of deaths in the next six to nine months. Yes. And it was completely fabricated on a model from 13, 15 years ago that was flawed. Yes. And yeah. he had done this multiple times before yes. for the previous F- 20 every years. Prediction, every prediction he ever made was wrong. Everything was wrong. He, he yeah. had a, a track record of 20 years of wrong predictions. We took that one paper and we ran with it. And that started the car. And the fuel in the car, which is still being pumped out, it's still going on, is fear. Because you cannot control a population just by mandates. You can't control a population just by denying them access to early treatment. The only way that you can get people controlled for that period of time and get them to hold out their breath in, in place, just sheltering in place for but two and a half years. Sheltering in place is something is reserved fear. for a nuclear exactly. holocaust. Not Completely an wrong. infectious disease, a no. nuclear holocaust. Shelter no. in place. When they it were makes saying no that, sense. I was on a nightly news show then, and I kept saying, he's got to shut up about that. Stop with the shelter in place. It is destroying people. It, yes. may, it gives them the same feeling as with a nuclear attack. That was our mayor, our governor. California is the worst of all, right? I wrote the article, the first article I published on this whole subject, I co-wrote with a, with a physician, colleague of mine, an <sighs> ophthalmologist, in April of 2020, after the mayor, Eric Garcetti, announced the safer at home policy. I'm sure you remember that was in March. I wrote it in April. It was published in the LA, LA Daily News. And this shelter in place, this safer at home policy is what began this long, 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 and it's still going on. To this day. I, I just passed a woman as I was walking to the studio, standing outside with underneath her grapefruit tree with a mask, with a mask yeah. on, loading her car in the parking lot. Surgical line. mask. Oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. We yeah. have to have that. So, so, so again, surgical masks don't work. Outdoors, zero. Two cases of transmission ever recorded. Uh, okay, good times. Well done, everybody. You've, you've ruined these people. You've ruined them. They, they have been be. ruined. People yeah. have been completely transformed yeah. into living with this as a chronic form of addiction. It's a behavioral addiction. Now. Yeah. It's, now I reach into my pocket. I don't pull out a cigarette because I'm anxious. I pull out a mask oh, wow. because someone passes me by in the street. And someone said, well, that's crazy. I've never seen this, Dr. McDonald. Well, it happened to me three times in the last four weeks. And guess what? It was all young women, teenagers to early 20s. Wow. And it was all during the day or at night on an empty street here in Los Angeles. These are young people who are now being addicted, not to social media. That's already over. Yeah. They're being addicted to mask wearing, anti-social distancing, fear mongering. They are trained now to do this without even thinking about it. Now, in addition to me talking to you, I've been talking to a lot of other people that have been silenced during this thing, and I'm sort of trying to piece together what happened because the silenced voices are really giving me lots of information about what's going, what went on because I'm, I'm so like, what? What's going on here? And, and by the way, I, um, 
Well, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm putting these things together. And one of the things I have found was how arbitrary so much of this stuff was, like the, like the, the six feet distancing. I, Paul Alexander was at the table when they came up with that. And they were trying to decide between 60 feet and six feet. They had no data to go on, and they just arbitrarily picked They just six tossed feet. a coin yeah. decide, oh, the, let's move six. We can get them to comply with this. It probably will help. Probably. Uh, so that was insane. Uh, and um, the other thing I discovered is that during the safety Uberalis period, they had a rational piece, which was let's mitigate as much as we can till we get to the vaccine. I get that. I get that thinking, right? What they did to mitigate was sort of unconscionable. But but mitigate safety Uberalis till vaccine, and then the problem was that then they went vaccine Uberalis. No, no question about the vaccine to this day, 12 and above, 12 and above, 5 and above, whatever. And when uh, Rochelle Walensky was asked why 12 and above, because Paul Offit had said, I've got concerns about young males, she said, we're just simplifying our messaging. Let's just say 12 and above. Can you imagine telling a patient, here are your risks you know, from this therapeutic agent, but I'm just going to simplify it for you and just say, take this and not describe anything else. It's, it's, it's an insane way for a physician to behave. It's, but anyway, the point I'm trying to make is the other thing I discovered was that they were using actual behavioral advice, behavioral techniques. They, they actually consulted with people about how to optimize fear. They, that's, that to me – that's sort of evil, in my opinion. I, I understand what, what the motivation wasn't evil. The, the operation was evil. No? This behavioral model is quite similar to what you saw in the 20th century with multiple dictatorships. And I use China as a prime example, and I write about it frequently. The Chinese, up to this day and including today, are masters at this. Yeah. They started this out after the Maoist revolution. They began co-opting through first bribes, then coercion, then threats – children to inform on their parents and yep. their teachers. Yep. They executed the intellectuals. Mm -hmm. They began uh, repossessing all of the private property and converting it into a collectivist hellhole. 60, 70, 80 million people died of starvation during that 10 to 15 years. And then they kept evolving further and further into more and more sophisticated means where today now you have these apps on their phones now in China that – will reward you for avoiding certain buildings that have bad people in them because there's geolocation now. These are people who have spoken out, dissidents essentially. Right. If you linger in front of those buildings, you get points deducted from your reputation, which they have now been able to convert into access or denial of access to places like grocery stores. Mm. So you get a green light or a red light through your app when you go into the store, and you don't know why. You just get a red, you're done. You don't get to eat. Now, you don't really know, just like Twitter, you don't really know what took you down. So that encourages you to always be safe, to always be careful, to start to become paranoid, to start to limit your speech, limit your movements. It doesn't require jail time. It no. just requires this installation of fear and coercion so that all dissident voices, all people who just – I wouldn't even say distance. I'd say curiosity, questions yeah. become silenced. And pretty soon everybody is cowering in fear, yeah. hoping that they won't be next. Yeah. I spoke to a Dr. Pantazitos yesterday on the streaming show and he's a neuroscientist at Columbia who uh, was questioning the mandate for a vaccine in the in the student population. And he looked at the data, and there was a signal there for young males. And he's like, hey, can we look at this? Just raise his hand like, hey, maybe we ought to take a look at this. Immediately put on leave. What? So, so my question on that is <laughs> – it's This is so astonishing to me. You do, you, I know you're shaking your head in disbelief, but to me it's like that's what we call 
scientific discourse where somebody goes, hey, hey, let's look into this. And we do. We look into it and we discuss it. it it's perfectly fine to say, no, Dr. Pantastos, here's why I think we're, you're wrong. That's normal discourse. But to go, we have, you're a threat. We have to destroy you. That's the new piece. That's the part I don't get. Why is it a threat to do normal scientific inquiry? Well, here's my response to that. And this is what I wrote about in Pandemic in a Nutshell. A lot of the explanatory roads hit dead ends in the last couple of years because there was just so many theorizing. We didn't have a lot of good, solid evidence to support some of these explanatory uh, hypotheses. I think looking back now and with a lot of FOIA requests now coming out, it's becoming evidentiarily clear what the driving motivation was from the beginning to do two things, to institute mandates to shut and lock everybody down, and two, to go after anyone who even raised the possible question of applying a evidence-based, yes. historically safe and yes. effective form of treatment yes. Yes. for people who are at risk, both prophylaxis we always and treatment. Have done. Just anybody who said we always have like, done. something like, let's do what we've done, why are we doing something new? That's all you have to ask. It's and you've never happened. And you've destroyed. I, a physician colleague of mine said this just last week on the Dennis Prager show. She said, people who are confused just need to ask themselves this question. What was done before the controversy started? Mm. What was the standard mm. before everybody started arguing? Before March of 2020, what yeah. was the standard when people got sick with a respiratory illness? Yeah. Very simple. They were treated symptomatically. Yeah. Antivirals, steroids, budesonide. Uh, and if it was – let's, say, let's, let's even say it was a measles-like illness. You'd say, hey, stay home. <laughs> That's what you do. You'd say, You'd say stay home if you're sick. Yeah. And, and if you're not sick, if there's some way to prophylactically boost your immune system, go for it. Yeah. We've had coldies in stores for 20 years because zinc has been shown. An emergency. Yes, emergency, vitamin C. There's yeah. been studies for 20 years showing improved immune function. Yeah. All of a sudden, all of that disappeared. The only reason that I can think of, and this is based upon now evidence that's coming out with some of these FOIA requests for attacking early treatment and, of course, keeping people locked in their homes, only thing is to open up and guarantee a unobstructed pathway forward towards a mass vaccination program in the U.S. that people cannot run from. Alex Berenson just posted something yesterday about this. He's been following it for several years. Oh, yeah. And now that we have the financial records for Pfizer and Moderna, it's become, this is a fact, <clears throat> clear that those two companies alone, just those two, have earned more than $100 billion since December of 2020 mm. in vaccines. Yeah. And this is a lot of money, but it's even more When you think of the fact that the biggest cost for pharmaceutical manufacturers after the research and development is marketing. And as a physician, you know this. They come to their office. They hire attractive people to come and give you food. There's lots of advertisements. They had to do none of that because the government paid for the advertisements for them through taxpayer money. Well, forget the advertisement. They actually paid for the product in most cases. They did that too. And the cost was elevated up to $30 a shot. It's normally two or three bucks for one of these things. So elevated inflated prices subsidized by taxpayers, all expenses paid for the marketing, and no one can refuse it unless you want to lose your job or perhaps become impoverished. So even people that didn't want it had to take it. That is unbelievable, that focus and concentration of power all through two things, mandates, lockdowns, shutdowns, and denial of care. Because if you had those two gone, if people could have gone out and walked around and realized we're not getting more sick by living our lives, because none of those lockdowns work, none, none zero, zero, nowhere in the world. They, might, they maybe delayed things a Maybe bit, delayed, but, but in the end, it. the net was the yeah. same. Yeah. And then second, if people had started to take vitamin D and zinc prophylactically, just like they did with colds, and then maybe added in some of these other treatments once they got sick – which showed up, you know, 80 to 95% success rate, depending on different factors. There would have been so few deaths that people would have been completely unconvinced that these vaccines were helpful. 
So then the final piece, the final piece, which you brought up at the very beginning, which is what sealed the deal, which is what kept the machine going, was the fear. Yeah. Because even with all of that taken away, people would not have been able to go through with this had they not been scared. And, and to be fair, I, you know, there's, a, there's some videos running around Twitter right now of, of my evolution. And, and I, started with, I started with shaking my head like, what? Who told you to close schools? Why are you doing that? Who, like what lockdown, shelter? Pl- what? what is that? That makes what, no sense. Like, what? Where did this come from? Anti-common sense. But, but I literally said at the time, I went, okay. Our governor is uh, preparing for the worst case scenario. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a good citizen and support my. Leadership. And it's just two weeks to flatten the curve. It's, whatever it was, I was like, I can handle okay, it for two weeks. You guys are doing what you have to do. You're in a tough position. I get yeah. it. I'm in. Okay, fine. Then it went on and on and on. I'm like, yes. what the fuck's going on here? Then the vaccine came. I, I ran for the vaccine. I actually got COVID trying to get the vaccine. There's a piece of this you forget. You because, were you were interviewing me while you were sick. I don't know I, if you recall I, this. You I, were actually I, sweating and delirious on your show. I probably the first COVID. I was sitting there going, "What is going on with this guy? Like, is he is he mentally ill?" And people were like texting me, "Like, what's going on with Doctor Drew?" <laughs> well, you were just all over the place. It was like free association. Uh, yeah, your wife sure. was yelling in the background at you, and people uh, were. It was crazy, and I was just sitting there going, "Whoa, this is really crazy." And you explained you're you actually sick. You're recovering. Yeah, you're I, coming I, I, down I, from a I, fever. I had a three month uh, thing with it, uh, but but I wouldn't. Uh, I needed to keep meaning making out of you know I had to do something because there there were two th- I had two re- I had two major psychological responses to being sick and none of them had anything to do with fear. The Doctor Who podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and you know and BetterHelp I obviously stand behind what they offer. I've been referring patients, family, friends for quite some time, and I've been very pleased with the professionals and most importantly the ease of access. The fact that people can no longer use stigma as, as an excuse not to take care of their brain, right? You take care of your body. Why wouldn't you take care of your brain? People would sometimes tell me that they were afraid that they were going to run into somebody in the waiting room. Not with better help. It, it's all done online. And, of course, therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of some of your challenging emotions. It's the closest thing to uh, a guided tour of you and your brain. Better help is connected with over 3 million people. Licensed therapist, convenient, secure, accessible anywhere, and is 100% online. Everyone deserves to feel their best. BetterHelp makes it easier to get started. The world's largest therapy service, they've matched millions. All the benefits of in-person therapy, plus it's more convenient, more accessible, and more affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It could not be simpler. As I said, there's no waiting room, so you don't have to worry about any kind of discomfort sitting there waiting for the therapist there's no driving in there's no traffic there's no parking there's no searching for the right therapist it's better help learn more and save 10 percent off your first month at betterhelp.com slash drew that is better help that's h-e-l-p betterhelp.com slash drew i've mentioned to you repeatedly that health insurance doesn't necessarily cover the full cost of an emergency medical flight even with comprehensive coverage you can still get clipped with a substantial deductible or a copay Protect your family and your finances with an Air MedCare Network membership. As a member, if an emergency arises, the expense of air medical transport is completely covered when flown by an AMTN provider. Membership costs as little as $85 a year. Covers your entire household every day, even when you're away from home. That is obviously just pennies a day. We all know that the unexpected can happen. An AMCN membership is protection no family should be without. And for a limited time, as a Dr. Drew podcast listener, you'll get up to a $75 e-gift card when you join. Simply visit airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash Drew 
Use that offer code DREW, D-R-E-W. Because the, the first thing people were you afraid? I'm like, no, I had a 1% fatality rate. No, why, you're not a fearful wh- person. Wh- why would I be afraid of a 1% fatality rate? So it was, it was weird to me when people said that. A, I'd been to Mexico three months before, and everyone blamed that for having caught COVID. <laughs> bad, bad, bad. But I was lying sick as hell going – you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take. You know, I'm willing to take the bullet on the field, but thank God I went to Mexico because I can think about those memories and really got me through it. And then number two, the other on the other side, I was like, I have to tell my story. I have to keep making meaning of this because this is, it, it, we're in a we're in a horrible situation. I got to try to contribute, and so that was the reason. And I was aware of your thinking, and I was like, I got to talk to this guy. And then I guess I wasn't. I was, you know, how it is when you're sick. You don't. No, I completely you understand. You don't realize how sick you no, are. No, you don't have no idea. <laughs> So anyway, thank you for that. Um, but uh, but where was I going? This is this is now just plain old age. Your evolution. Ah, yeah, my evolution through time and the yeah. videos. So I ran to get the vaccine. Uh, the original vaccine rollout, if you remember, you was had to be equity of outcome. So of I course. I didn't fit the right equity profile, even though I was taking care of COVID patients. I went through the hospital. I had to run through the hospital, all the staff offices and things. Three days later, I'm sick. Uh, and I, while I was in these completely enclosed rooms with no windows, I was thinking to myself, well, this is how I'm going to get COVID. And they would not give me the vaccine. And, and really, I talked to this chief of staff, and he's like, oh, oh, you're taking care of COVID patients. Oh, you're like those. Are, uh, okay, well, let, let, well, you'll get a call this afternoon. No call. Uh, I didn't fit. I wasn't a window washer at the hospital who came from a community who was genuinely at risk. I get that. But the insanity with which the equity ubralis. And I've begun to think one of the real serious problems with this is we have trained our public health officials not in medicine but in equity of outcome as their policy. Not I don't know how you get equity of outcome between a 25-year-old male and an 85-year-old female. These are different things. They're not going to end up in the same place no matter what the fuck you do. So this whole equity of outcome thing, I, you look at Barbara Ferrer here in L.A. County. That seems to always be her, her prism. She's not a medical person. She has no medical judgment. So it's always how do we get everybody to the same place? That's a that's a delusion. You can't do that. With biology, you can't make a taller biology. person fit your height unless you cut his legs off. Exactly. Equity of outcome always means punishing someone who has more. Always, always, always. Yes. It's the core evil, and I use that word specifically, evil of collectivism. You but, can't get it without theft and damage. But, but it's also not realistic for the people you're trying to raise up necessarily. You that's also true. You can't get a 75-year-old di- diabetic obese male to the same place as a rich white 25-year-old no. male. You just can't get there. You can't, it's not, not no fault of anybody's. That's just how biology works. But anyway, so, so I started seeing that, and that was gravely concerning to me. But anyway, couldn't get the vaccine. I got sick. Uh, and then my son tweeted he was doing my social media for a minute and he quickly pulled out because he realized how toxic it was. He got sick of being just assailed for what he said. And one of the things he's put out that's now making the rounds was, hey, this vaccine is effective. It'll help you. It'll prevent transmission, which we thought at the time, which we thought at the time. And I think I probably thought that at the time. Because you were lied to. Pfizer just released a video of them announcing, which you probably saw, that they knew at the time that it was studied and and produced that it was not going to actually reduce transmission. Careful. They didn't study it. They didn't study it. But But they let it ride 
from the politicians and the public health officials Correct. that it would. And Fauci said that. In fact, he even said, if you get this shot, you are a dead end for virus transmission. Correct. And he knew that that wasn't true. Well, it, I, I would defend him and say, hey, we thought we were, had completely suppressed viral re- pr- production and therefore they should not transmit. That was my thinking at the time, even though they'd actually not done the study. They hadn't the, had the, the unconscionable no part evidence. is they still haven't done the studies. They still really haven't done it properly. So nope. crazy. That's the crazy nope. part for me, that there's all these questions that need to be answered and no one's – What's the risk of COVID in a 30-year-old male versus the risk of the vaccine? Just go study it. What's the we risk? We have the evidence. What? We have the evidence. Well, we have the anecdotal. We don't have the forward you know, study. We don't have the RCC. Well, you can look forward. at other countries and you can see you know, Sweden is the biggest example. They didn't shut down schools. Right, right, right. And not a single child died under the age of 16. So right. there's a lot of very good solid evidence outside yes. the U.S. because we have a lot of murkiness in our data because there's a lot of politics. Yes. And all of the international evidence – points not just points to it, it it is irrefutable that people who are healthy and young are at essentially zero risk of yeah. any serious complications yeah. from this infection and so they were never ever should ever have been on the radar for getting these shots right and now they're still man we're still man i just posted a, a a photo on my uh online talk yesterday i do a, an online talk that's actually called how what? not to be fooled where on ipac okay ipak it's ipac edu and it's a basically about propaganda and censorship and how corporations, media, politicians have used lies, foolery, propaganda to help behaviorally control us in the last three years. As I was driving in to do my talk, it's through Zoom, I took a photograph of a billboard. It's on Robertson in Los Angeles here in West L.A., uh, sponsored by CA.gov. And it's a picture of a couple of kids, a brown kid and a, and a, and a, and a dark kid. You've got sort of like a, a Mexican and a black, a girl and a boy. So it's perfectly racially balanced. And they're playing and they're finger painting and they've got stuff on their shirts with their finger paint. Really cute kids. And it says at the top, kids going to kid, vaccines going to protect. Oh, boy. That was, that was just yesterday. That, was just, that just went up like last weekend. But see, I, I look at it's that. propaganda. But I get confused by it because why are they – tripling down on that as the data keeps coming in to the contrary? Is it that bureaucracies are so inefficient and so fat and so fearful of liability that they have to just keep rolling ahead? Is that what it is? There was a FOIA request that came out last week. A physician is is still gathering the information and is is sharing it uh, day to day as it comes out. And this this actually surprised me because I thought the government was the the group that started this propaganda campaign for vaccinations. I thought that they knew from the beginning it didn't work. They're just pushing it to make money, et cetera. I, I don't think so. Well, that's that's what she found it. out with I, the FOIA. Yeah. She found out that you know what it was. Yeah. You know why the government put down all these mandates and lockdowns and started putting all these vaccine mandates at the beginning because they were being pressured. By media organizations. Oh, I'm sure. I'm to sure do it. of it. That's why New it York started. New York Times editorial board. To, I have, I have a That's big right. billboard. New York Times editorial board demands lockdown. Why the, the fuck? The editorial board. Why the fuck do they have an you opinion? You said this in our last conversation. You shouldn't be wading into this. You are a, a quote-unquote journalist, if that. You are not a public health official, a doctor. Shut your mouth. Why do you have a place at the table? You have no opinion. None. 100% I think that's true. That and I, and I didn't know that until I started reading these documents. Makes now, perfect sense. All of it's coming from – it did come from the media. That's why they started. And now they're, 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 they're locked in. They're bureaucratic. They can't back away. They're, they're on this – uh, all paths lead to vaccination campaign. They're going to go off the cliff with this, yes. even when these shots with for children do zero good yes. and only harm and kill 
a certain number of children, and they're still pushing it. There's zero evidence to support it. Zero. I, it's really uncanny to me that Walensky does this, keeps simplifying her messaging. It's weird. So there are two other elements that that now fold into that. That see, this is how I'm making sense of things. I hear these these bits of data, and I go, yeah, that's it. That makes sense to me. The, the media, they did it. We, I was, I got crushed for sitting on a show that I did actually this Monday in. It must have been December of 2019. I'm going, the media needs to shut up. Just shut up about this. You're going to create a panic. Shut up. Panic. So, right. And I was crushed for saying that. But in any event, there are two other elements that fold into this, and I, I'm going to throw them on the table and then ask you something else because we'll go back to this. Mass formation psychosis ensued and Trump derangement syndrome. I think these two things had major, major sort of uh, – I don't know, lighter fluid on the whole thing in some way. But I'm going to have you address it as a psychiatrist. First, before you do that, AB 2098. Here we are in California. Are you fearful of uh, speaking up and talking about things that are not standard of care? Well, I'm actually under investigation by the California Medical oh, Board as we Jesus speak. Christ. And I have an interview scheduled today with an investigator from the investigative unit because the anonymous complaint that was filed against me over a year ago for posting on social media comments regarding Mandatory mass, denial of care, and mandated vaccines led to a non-patient, unnamed individual saying right. he shouldn't be saying this on social media. He's a bad doctor. Okay, whatever. You can file a complaint. I don't care. I, I get them all the time. I wrote back, responded in the medical board. I thought it was dropped because it's obviously silly and ridiculous. And then a month ago, I got an email from the investigator from the investigative unit saying the medical board, not the anonymous complainer, the medical board itself has actually begun the process of investigating you. So it's not just crazies writing in and complaining about doctors. It's the board, and the board is there to protect patients from malpractice or egregious gross negligence by really bad doctors. An example being, you know, I'm going to go on social media and tell everyone to drink bleach to help cure their respiratory infection. Yeah. But I could be sued for that because that's malpractice. That's gross negligence. Yeah. You don't need a, a, a complainer to complain. Yeah. You don't need a law like AB 2098 to empower the board to take away the licenses of physicians who spread, quote unquote, medical misinformation as if there's ever a scientific consensus on anything. Right. We're always evolving. We're always changing our minds. That's the whole point. So am I scared? No, I'm not scared. But I am perplexed, bewildered, and I'm concerned for the medical community of doctors because there are many doctors who can't afford or don't have the stamina to go through this sort of a process, are worried about their livelihood, worried about their employment, worried about being fired, and they're going to now be silenced by themselves. They're going to silence their own voices to express dissident opinions or and, raising their hand and by the way, to ask questions. People don't appreciate how, how – um what would the word be sort of reactive physicians are when we get scared we just we just freeze in place we we, we as I, I i saw it most vividly the first time in my career when doctors were criminally and civilly assaulted and had you know million dollar judgments not malpractice criminal and civil actions for insufficient treatment of pain that's where the yes. that's where the opioid crisis began that's right doctors then froze in place Refused to, to prescribe anybody anything for pain, sent it all to pain management. Pain management took the position that pain is the fifth vital sign. Pain is what the patient says it is. Pain control is what the patient says it is. My patients, it was on. It was on now. That led to 
And that was the standard of care, of by the way. Standard of care. When I was speaking, yes, it did. And I was speaking up against it at the time. Today, I would have lost my license for that. This happened when I was in medical school with antidepressant medication. <clears throat> now, I don't want to wade into the debate about antidepressants or they work or not. Yeah. Put that aside. But yeah. This is the important point. The FDA put a black box warning on antidepressants because of one small limited study that showed that some of the kids in that study – Adolescents had an increased risk of what they called suicidal ideation. Right. Not they, suicide, but ideation. ideation, which was like poking themselves with and a pencil. And by the way, I've seen that. I've seen it. It does, it, it does happen. It does happen. They don't kill themselves. They don't kill themselves. The and not a single one in the study died. Yeah. Well, because of that black box warning, doctors, particularly family practice doctors, pediatricians, the first line of defense against you know depression in kids, not psychiatrists, but that early family practice doctor stopped prescribing the medication, just like doctors stopped prescribing opiates because they were scared of liability. Yep. That year, and for eight or, eight or nine years after that, what had been a av- every year declining number of suicides in the adolescent American population started to go up. Mm. And it went up and up and up and up. And somewhere around 600 kids who otherwise would not have killed themselves died during that period of time because for, they weren't being treated. For me, there's a wrinkle in there that's, that's a, a more hideous piece. Yeah. Because – in in a in the best possible world, the f- the primary caretakers freezing would have resulted in more psychiatric consultation. But in the world of insurance resources, you're not allowed to get a, a psychiatric consultation, and so that's where the real that's the real f- of that. evil piece of this, in my opinion. It's okay for I don't want those guys prescribing. Frankly, I want a psychiatrist. I want an expert seeing these kids, yeah. and you can't get that consultation. You can't get it. So they're blocked from seeing the psychiatrist. Yep. They're blocked from treatment from yep. primary care. They're yep. blocked, blocked, blocked. Yep. And the single greatest factor. That leads to suicide is untreated depression, yeah. and then they were not treated. Just like untreated pain leads to suicide. This is evil, denying care, and this is all driven by fear and intimidation, which is your first point. Yeah, all of it. All right. So fear and intimidation. Let's let's go to the mass formation and the Trump derangement. I I, I kind of feel like Trump derangement we got to deal with first because it's certain, mm. it's kind of easier. It's like I just watched it in California. Trump said, "Don't close the schools." California closed schools. Like in, in next day, like close the schools. That's it. Uh, we're not we're not going to listen to that asshole. And okay, and then keep them closed. Oh my god, two years. Holy shit. I I think I've told you before. I the the thing that jumped out at me on school closure is I was watching the poor families, women with children, is trying to escape Ukraine in the initial onslaught from Russia. And as they crossed the Polish border, the reporters were all there with microphones in their faces. And the women, first thing they would say was, yeah, it's terrible. The men are behind. They're fighting this. This guy's an asshole. Terrible. And then they would immediately, without prompting, go, but the kids have been out of school for two weeks. Two weeks. we got to get them back in school. It's been two weeks. And I thought, wow. oh, my, that's right. Two weeks is a long time. We held ours out for two years. Unconscionable. And I think that was Trump derangement as much as anything. I agree. I think TDS is real. I, I thought yeah. it was just a kind of hyperbolic phrase that was uh, more clickbait in the first couple of months to year. But I see it in my own life. I see it in my own patients even today. I've lost patients in the last couple of years because there were comments that I made that were not necessarily political, but they were treatment-driven, yeah. and they somehow had to do with a political overtone. Right. And when that patient began to talk about Donald Trump, the patient would get red in the face, yes. hysterical, hyperbolic, yeah. completely yeah. unable to think rationally. What does this man do to people? Because I, I, I don't care about him. I don't care either way, frankly. He's and, a non-issue and, to me. Me too. And so to see He's him, not in office. No, and to see, but even when he was in, I don't care about this. I didn't either. I cared it, about his policies. I didn't care about him as a person. I, it, just watching what he evoked in people was mysterious yes. to me. What do you think that was? 
Well, he was the darling of the Democrat Party for decades. He went to the Clinton's wedding. He was a uh, a, a party favorite yeah. of the party that then tried to destroy, destroy him. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the first point that I think is important. It's not that he started out as a bad man and then was discovered when he ran for president as being a national risk. The perception of him shifted completely as soon as he announced his candidacy. He did not change. Right. He's been the same man all his life. Yes. He is nothing if not consistent. Yes. There's a lot of things you can t- say about him, but he hasn't had a, a coming to Jesus, a transformation. He didn't join the Church of Satan. He is the same man. So if he didn't change, something else changed. Yeah. I think that's the first thing. Okay. And this is my interpretation, okay. what I think happened. Well, you're a psychiatrist. I'm listening. I believe that Trump threatened the Democrat orthodoxy. I think he threatened through several things. He's uh, he's independently wealthy, so you can't control him with money. Uh, he is completely unpredictable, mm. so you, you can't anticipate what he's going to say or do. And third, no matter how bellicose he is, no matter how exaggerating and narcissistic he is, all of which is true, the big, big, big statements that he made, with very few exceptions, all came out to be true. The little lies, there's huge, huge little lies everywhere. You know, a million people came to my, blow my gathering. Blow yeah, hard. yeah. Just blow hard It's bullshit. just hot air. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> you know, but all of the, all of the big statements, the yeah. big statements about, for example, um, the Obamas and the Clintons uh, hiring uh, for a million dollars uh, an MI6 agent to get dirt on him, uh, the P-tapes from uh, Russia, uh, the spying that occurred in his penthouse before he was elected. And everybody said, oh, the guy's paranoid. He just – he hates he, – he can't handle – he can't handle people criticizing him. All of it provably true, undeniable, undisputable. But what's he doing? Why do people react so crazy? He called out the media. The Jordan Harbinger Show, he's always focused on pulling useful details out of brilliant guests, not just the usual surface conversation – Jordan gets into it, and of course, he knows how. He's a smart guy. He's got a great training. He's had a fascinating experience, and he's talking to different fascinating guests. And he gets really great people in there. I learn something every time. I listen to the Jordan Harbinger show, and I, you know, Adam and I both dig it. It covers a wide range of topics. It weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests, as I said. Tons of episodes you will find interesting, and it's always something for everyone, no matter what you're into. And there's, uh, you know, a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and uh, and the mafia. Jordan also has done an episode all about birth control and how it can alter the partners we pick. Of course, uh, guess what, everybody? The birth control is a biological agent. It has biological effects. I enjoyed the Jordan Harbinger show, and I think you will as well. I've been listening to it for a while now. I've been recommending it for a while now. It is the Jordan Harbinger show. That's A-H-A-R-B as in boy. I N is a Nancy G E R Jordan Harbinger show on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See, the media yeah, is a huge true. force. I said that earlier. The media yeah. drove to a large degree this pandemic craziness. Yes, and I think he got under the the skin. Jeff Zucker. Yes, got under his skin. He called out the media as no one else has ever done before. He exposed the the legacy media for being basically lying propagandists, and, and, and so, that okay, scared so, them. So, that's okay. what I think. I think that's true. Then take me how the individual gets so wild when just just I have friends that just get wild. I, and to me, thank because I'm so modern and I'm in the middle. I don't care to see somebody so evoked. It jumps out at you. It's like why does he do that to you? Why does why do you? 
to the point, like you said, red in the face, hysteria. It, he just evokes this violent reaction. Is it all roads lead to narcissist? Is narcissist triggering narcissist kind of thing? I think it was a reaction to the reaction to Trump from the power elite. See, the power elite saw him not as a, a bellicose man. They saw that as, a, as an opportunity, as a personality trait to use to turn the country against him because he was an actual threat to them. He was a threat to the so-called deep state. So, so they, they so the took media, all of that. So the media effectively evoked these people into hysteria. They turned him into a devil, I into see. a threat for the common American I see. when he wasn't. Yeah. He's not going to – whatever you think about his sexual uh, uh, antics, he's not going to come and molest your wife. It's yeah. just not going to happen, yeah, right? Yeah. But that's how they turned him into a molester, a rapist, a rapist. Uh, a racist, an Islamophobe, you know, add in all the isms. And that riled up so many Americans, even though they knew nothing really about him except what they were told by the media. And that was necessary because you had to get the American people against him, not Kids just the cages. power elite. Kids in cages. Kids in cages. Kids in cages. Yeah. Even though, of course, that started under Obama. Right. But, but that doesn't matter. The truth didn't matter. All that right, mattered, right. all that mattered to the media and all that matters to them, honestly, to this day, eyes, in my view, eyes. it's – Stoking emotional response. Right, so they get the eyes. They get yeah. the eyes and yeah. they do it by yeah. creating a hysterical yeah. response. And if you yeah. get that, then you can control people and get them to do anything. Do you think people are waking up to that? I, I do. I feel like people I are do. Like, they're, they're just burned out by it. They're like, oh, I do see not, that. Okay, good. I do. So now let's go to mass formation psychosis. This yes. is, was uh, Desmond Matias, Matias Desmond's original frame. Uh, he I, calls it mass formation because I, mass formation psychosis is redundant. Right. Formation so, uh, means psychosis. I, I'll let you talk. But I got to tell you, early on in this pandemic, I was saying, my God, I've, I've seen. I think I mentioned to you when I was rambling <laughs> after my illness that that I yeah. that I've seen the narcissistic turn. I watched it happen in real time, working in a psychiatric hospital. I saw all the cluster B stuff coming on in the mid to late eighties. But I never imagined hysteric, histrionic disorder would be the one. But I feel like we've become histrionic all of a sudden. We've moved. But I guess there's a difference between histrionic disorder and hysteria. And mass formation suggests that they, in this group with predominant cluster B, you can induce a hysteria. So that that's is correct. That's sort of the mass formation. So talk about that. Well, you know, Matthias Desmond has been writing about this academically for a long time, and he focuses oh, on oh, it. Oh, really? For oh, a long yeah. Time. Very long before, time. Before the pandemic. Yes. He oh, focused on it in no terms shit. of totalitarianism yes. and the rise of that in Europe. Yes. He's an academic in Belgium. So he started that um, academic that. path a long time, way, way, way before the pandemic, and he called it mass formation. Yeah. Now, I never heard of this guy until about a year ago. Yeah. I was unaware of him. But back in summer of 2020, when I was at the Supreme Court steps and I was speaking out against uh, shutdowns, lockdowns, harm to children, and pro-medical freedom – before we knew how bad the media censorship campaign was going to become, and we had 12 million views of that live speech, 12 million in eight hours. It's still an internet record. Within 24 hours, every single recording source, blip, uh, audio track Silence. had been – they had yeah. been bleached out of and, the internet. And then they started going after everybody. And then they started going and after all of us. Pers- and they have not stopped. They're yeah. still doing it, as, as I said earlier yeah. today about – And by the way, I think the individuals that are evoked into the Trump derangement are this are – similarly evoked into being an army to attack people. I agree with that because it's emotionally driven. What I said that that summer, June, July of 2020, 
as far as I know, I'm the first person to have coined the phrase mass delusional psychosis. Uh, Charlie Kirk put it up on his website. It was taken down. You can still see some of it on Rumble if you search for it. So I have evidence to show that, yes, that was me that actually coined that phrase. It wasn't even really Desmond at that time, although he was talking about heard mass that, formation that's in Europe. I probably why I went after you, even though I was sick. <laughs> well, a lot of people have heard both, and so they, they conflate the yeah, two. Robert yeah. Malone did that. He, he actually created the phrase mass formation psychosis by blending Desmond and my phrases together on Joe Rogan. Oh, that's actually when it took off in so December of 2021. I, I had not heard of Desmond until six months ago. That was from so, the Rogan podcast yeah, yeah. that – Peter McAuliffe and then Robert Malone did. That's when Desmet took off, and that's yeah. when he began to do the speaking tour. He was on Tucker Carlson recently uh, on Tucker Today. So I was speaking about it way, 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 way before Desmet was here in the U.S. Yeah. I started talking about it in the summer of 2020, and I called it mass delusional psychosis. And I wasn't talking about Europe. I was talking about the U.S. I focused domestically, and I defined that as an entire society, meaning the United States, all going crazy, and crazy by definition, my definition for this was Losing your ability to think and reason mm-hmm. and your ability to think for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's what I meant by crazy. Mm-hmm. And they did it all at once. It all happened simultaneously. That uh, pandemic, I called it pandemic of fear, pandemic of hysteria, mass delusional psychosis, is what allowed, in my view, what allowed for the ongoingness, the entrenchment, the severity, the continuation of obviously from a, even a child's point of view, nonsensical policies – Utterly nonsensical, as you pointed out earlier. I still believe that there is an element of that mass hysteria currently in the country. You can see it in the Trump derangement syndrome. I think it's also being expressed more on a sort of unconscious level behaviorally through this fear addiction because I think fear is also a a primary fuel that allows this car to keep being driven because without the fear, most people start to tone their mass hysteria down. Mm. But they're not doing it. And the reason why they're not doing it is the media hasn't reformed. The media is still pushing this. The Trump derangement syndrome, great example of how that's being pushed specifically with Trump as the boogeyman. But it's still being pushed with billboards. Kid's going to kid. Virus going to treat. We're still seeing it with requirements and mandates for university students to get boosters to go to college. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do that, then you're a bad person mm-hmm. and you're killing grandma, mm-hmm. even though that's flat out untrue because we all know now, we have known for a long time, none of these shots prevent transmission. Correct. The companies that make them, even the government, even the CDC itself doesn't even pretend that anymore. But when you go out and you go to a store, you go to a restaurant like I did last week. I was in a restaurant in the Valley, uh, Indian restaurant, love it. Half the people there were wearing masks. And I asked the server, I said, look, I can't understand what you're saying. I can't see your facial expressions. I can't tell if you're joking. I had no idea what he was saying. Would you, would you please take that off? Why are you wearing it? And he looked at me and he, I swear he had fear in his eyes. Uh. He was afraid of the thought of removing his mask while serving people at the restaurant. This is still going on. It is still craziness. It is an inability to think clearly. It is an inability to make obvious rational decisions that anyone would have been able to make before March of 2020. It is an illness. I do believe that it is a mental health crisis. It's not a physical crisis. It's a mental health crisis. It needs to be addressed. We need to address this boogeyman in the room, which is an emotionally, emotionally driven infection. What's the treatment? Well, I wrote a book, United States of Fear, back in December to talk about the macro-level problem. And now, just about a month ago, I put out a new book called Freedom from Fear to offer a treatment plan. And, and it's sort of a 12-step model. It's exactly that. It's a 12-step model, just like AA is, just similar to what you Jordan need another Peterson person. writes about. You need another person to do a real good 12-step. 
You know, you need to share your shame, that is true. Shame, guilt and fear, and have somebody who understands it across from you going, mm-hmm, "I get it." And so it's it still becomes interpersonal in space too. By the way, it you can't must be spot. interpersonal in space. And you know, the AA programs were all shut down and turned to oh, Zoom. Believe me, which I know. I know you know. And a lot of my patients wound up relapsing. Of One of them course. actually died of Massively. a fentanyl overdose because Massively. she had her program shut. I, I horrible. In fact, interestingly, the Zoom thing when that started with the twelve step went on Zoom, I thought, oh my god, this is going to be a catastrophe because they have to have people in space. Yeah, it held them for about six months. I was surprised it temporarily. Actually, yeah, it actually did pretty well for about six months and. It now has the benefit. A lot of these things often have unintended consequences that are positive and negative. The positive was the Zoom meetings go on and it's easier for me to get people into the 12-step process through Zoom meetings. There's less resistance. Uh, so, so had some benefits. So A, it worked for about six months and then everybody fell apart <laughs> predictably. And, and then it's helping me get people in. Particularly Al-Anon too, by the way. Al-Anon is around the clock now and people are going to Al-Anon meetings who really resisted it before. That's fantastic. Yeah, it is good. So that's the good news. Um, the other thing I've seen on this addiction to fear is um, I feel like two weeks ago – when is this going? Oh, Gary's not in there. Uh, probably four weeks ago, as we as you hear this, uh, when Putin really started ringing the nuclear risk bill bell, ringing the risk of a nuclear attack, people got off COVID for a second and turned it to him. It like it's like That's it right. focused the fear on something, frankly, real. <laughs> so, a, that that it, is a real it, yeah, problem. And, nuclear and so, war, <laughs> and so it may. My my dearest hope is maybe that when they come back into when that when that diminishes and the fear of that goes down, they'll come back into a more reality based assessment of of their of real fears and they should be afraid of. Do you think that's possible? I do. You know, I've said for a long time that, and I talked about this, I think, when I spoke with you last, that there are countries, even in Europe, that did not respond to the fear-mongering, even though there were the same lockdowns, shutdowns, mandates, trying to get people to get shots, but they were inoculated from that. How did they get inoculated? Well, the former Soviet uh, – sorry, not the former Soviet Union, but the, the Central European nations and also the uh, former Yugoslavia had republics. had been through a real war. <laughs> had been through a real war, yeah, an actual yeah. genocide yeah. where they knew what death was, yes, losing yes. life and property. Yes, I saw They that. did not react to this. Yes. Primarily it was Western Europe and to a large degree Northern Europe. Central and Southern did not. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that they had already been exposed to a real threat. Now, I don't wish war on anyone, obviously, but I want to point it out because America has been protected from war and from real catastrophe on a national level for a very long time. Very long time. That's why they did not have the immune response to the fear monger. I would also argue that we hide death away. We hide Absolutely. illness away. We've done such a great job medically with t- taking illness and putting it in a hospital and making people magically better and stuff. And that's not real. That's not why real. people believe that if they stayed home, they could live forever. I really believe that there was this immortality, a complex that people were sold, and they received it completely. It wasn't forced down their throat. If you just stay home and wear a mask, you, you put this talisman on your face and you get your food ordered and you bleach the box from Amazon, you will never die. That right. was the implicit message. Yes. You can skirt death by staying at home and people swallowed it. When I do my streaming show now, I have two – I have a 4,000-page infectious disease book and a 2,000-page pediatric infectious disease book. And I hold them up and I go, this is, this is there for you. This is waiting for you. This is what humans get. Enough to fill these books. 
Don't. Why are you worried about this one thing? I'm managing tuberculosis this morning for a poor guy that's trying to take nine months of an antibiotic that made his liver sick. You know, it's like that's real illness. It's everywhere. Yes, we're biological guys, and this is back to where we started. It is time for courage. I'm, I find courage so appealing. Absolutely, right now. I'm, courage and freedom have become things that I think about all the time. Never thought about. I my didn't whole either. Life. And I, I, I never thought about I them think, either. I think Tulsi Gabbard standing up and going, "Hey, yes. I'm, I'm, that's courage." I'm, I'm good for I'm, taking I'm, a risk in the face of danger. That's what courage is, and she expresses that courage. Doesn't matter whether you agree or disagree with. That's yeah, not the point. Not the she's point. putting herself out there and standing up yes. for her values. We need more of that. We need people who are willing to put themselves out there and take a risk. Because if we don't have courage and courageous individuals, we are done. Yeah. And I talked a lot about this on other podcasts about the absence, the crushing, the grinding down of the man of masculinity in this country, which is the fountainhead of much of our courage. And I believe, I really do believe there's been a concerted effort to eliminate men and masculinity from this country because without courageous men, it is so easy to control a population. Let's leave it there. I think that runs the, that, that they saw run the cycle. We just ran the cycle. Uh, where else would you like people to go, for, for instance, to hear those podcasts? So Jeff Barkey and I, he's a family physician down in uh, Orange County, put out a podcast regularly. Uh, with lots of interesting guests. We had Dr. Simone Gold on. We had Peter McAuliffe on, Sebastian Gorka. Um, it's at informeddissentmedia.com. And if you don't want to go to the website, you just do a podcasting off of Apple or BuzzFeed, Buzzsprout. Uh, just type in Informed Dissent and you'll find the podcast because it's called Informed Dissent. And if you want to read about me and what I publish on my Substack or my books or my Twitter or my Facebook, you can find all of that at dissidentmd.com. Do you know Dr. Cariardi over at UC Irvine? I know him well. I have met him multiple times, and uh, I have not been in touch with him recently after he lost his job for refusing to take the vaccine. Um, he's also a psychiatrist. He's also academic, a psychiatrist, psychiatrist, academic. He was on the ethics committee, bioethics ironically. Committee. The bioethics committee, and he said, bioethically, I cannot support forced injections, and they fired him. Or he was forced out. And, and that, that right there is the model for how things are happening at the FDA, at That's the CDC, right. at universities throughout the country. Think about this, people. Stand up. Don't be sheep. A, a populace of sheep brings on a government and a bureaucracy of wolves. It's a great quote. That's a great quote. Leave it there. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next time. Thank you. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. You're about to hear a preview of The Jordan Harbinger Show with the son of a Hamas co-founder who ended up working undercover for Israeli intelligence against his former friends and family to thwart terrorist plots and save lives. Hamas is an Islamic movement. My father is one of the founding members of Hamas. 
Hamas for us was everything to the point where it became an army. It's a monster. I agreed to work with Israel with a hidden agenda to be a double agent. The level of pressure that they had to go through, my heart stopped for approximately 30 seconds. Most human beings cannot make it back. I was tortured mentally and physically. Everybody in the city knew that I'm a dead man. For more with Masab Hassan Youssef, including what happened when his family found out he worked undercover, check out episode 407 on The Jordan Harbinger Show.